Pastor Xavier Reese, revealing the simple truths of deception. Paul instructs believers are to watch for various means of deception. Various means of deception. Look at Sin nature can deceive us. Self can deceive us. Satan can deceive us. And man can deceive us. You've got a lot of people and things that can deceive you if you're not grounded in the Word of God. The method is described as by any means you compare everything to the scripture. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Historically, our enemy's greatest threat is far more destructive than the most advanced technology, a greater number of troops, or even a nuclear warhead. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to his study series of the book of 2 Thessalonians to discuss one of the most destructive weapons ever conceived, deception. Here he is with a revealing Simple Truths message titled, The Day and Gathering to Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul has thanked God for the Thessalonians and encouraged them to rest with him in their suffering because God would recompense the wicked and glorify the godly. That's a great comfort. Now, as Paul moves on, he comes to the heart of the epistle, the true purpose of the letter. Someone had declared that the day of the Lord had come already. More specifically, this unique section provides us with information about the man of sin found nowhere else in Scripture. Verse 1 to 12 is the heart of this epistle. It is an incredible section that helps us piece a lot of things together. What we want to do is look at Paul's comfort to the Thessalonians regarding false teaching about the day of the Lord. And Paul does this as a faithful teacher and spiritual father by a threefold declaration in verses 1 through 3. Let me read them for us. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you, do not be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Here's the threefold declaration as a faithful teacher and spiritual father regarding this deception. First, Paul reminds them of what they knew. Verse 1. He reminded them of what they knew. Secondly, Paul reproved them for what they had believed. In verse 2. And then Paul re-instructed them on what they had forgotten. Verse 3. Reminds them, reproves them, and re-instructs them. Let's begin here with Paul as he reminds them of what they knew. You might put here, the foundation to remember. The foundation to remember. Verse 1. First, Paul reminds them of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The ones being addressed are believers, brethren. The community of God's redeemed. They're the only ones that can accept and understand the things of God. Particularly end times. They now are concerned about their own gathering. And the word gathering here to Christ means that someone had declared. The day of the Lord had already begun. And in their mind they couldn't understand. If we're supposed to be gone and it started, what are we doing here? 
And this is what happened with them. They knew the truth, but someone came along and said, No, the day of the Lord has already come. Now Paul had told them that they would be caught up together with the Lord in the air, to meet Him in the air in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 and 18. We've seen that. They knew that. Remember the phrase, caught up, is the word harpazo. It means to snatch up suddenly, violently, eagerly. And of the 13 times it is found in the New Testament, every time it is consistently communicating a sudden snatching up with a displacement from one location to another. I'm going to just give you three. Remember the parable of the sower? He went out to sow seeds, some fell by the wayside, and the birds came by and harpazled the seed from the earth to the air. A second one you remember Philip. You find that in Matthew 13. The second one is Philip when he was baptized in the eunuch in the desert in Acts 8.39. And he baptized them and when they came up, it says, And Philip was harpazled to Azotus. Translated miraculously from the desert to Azotus. Suddenly. One last one. Paul was caught up, harpazled to the third heaven. 2 Corinthians 12.2. And he saw and heard things there that were not lawful to be uttered. Those are only three of the thirteen. Every appearance Give that same communication. Violent, sudden, with a translation. Now, Paul uses the phrase, our gathering together, which means our gathering of the saints as a corporate body. He's using it synonymous with what he used in the first letter, our puzzle. Our gathering. Paul using this word synonymously with gathering gives us a true definition of what it is. When we are gathered together in the air, it is a gathering together of the saints, of God's redeemed, in an attitude of worship. The true body of Christ. Only twice is found. Hebrews 10.25 and right here. It's synonymous with harpazo, what takes place. A.T. Robertson, the Greek scholar, discovered its use of this word in the island of Simi, off of uh, Kyra. This is how they translated Collection. That's good. God is collecting his bride. Somewhere out there is the last number. And when that person says, Lord, come into my heart, we're out of here. Paul puts it in Romans eleven twenty five. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the blindness and part that's happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. There's another synonymous term. Fullness of the Gentile. The last, the full number of Christians to be saved. Are gathering together, synonymous with harpazo. They're all synonymous. They're describing the same event from a different perspective. The first time Jesus mentioned that he would come back for his own was in John 14, 1 through 3. He was ready to leave. He was going to die. And he tells his disciples, stop being afraid. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many abiding places, mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go, I will come back to receive you. Here it is, unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. There's the first mention of the rapture of the church. Jesus mentioned it. You must make a distinction between him coming back to receive us to himself and him coming back with us to set up the kingdom. If you don't, then you put the church in the tribulation. The teaching that declares my Lord delays us coming or that the day has come. Is deception. Jesus said that in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Let me give you one verse. 
The first words out of the mouth of Jesus when they asked him, when will these things be? When shall be the signs of his coming and the end of the age? He said this, first words. Take heed that no man deceive you, Matthew 24, 4. First words. Implication? Obvious. Men will deceive concerning my coming. You live by what the word tells you, not what men tell you. Very important. The exhortation of Peter to the believer can be summed up in one phrase throughout his second epistle. You've read it before. It is this. Remember what you know. Over and over again. I put you in memory of this. I remind you of this. I tell you what you know. Over and over again the second epistle says that. What do I tell you as a pastor? I tell you what you already know. I remind you of it. Listen to Peter. Second Peter 3, 3-6. through six. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fallen fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For they willingly forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world then existed perished, being flooded with water. They willingly forget Scoffers, mockers. We need to be solid in that. Not move the way. You show me a Christian, you show me a church that forgets the imminent return of Jesus Christ and the solidness of their stability on it, and I'll show you a person or a church that's headed for deception and walking away from God. Real simple. And so Paul reminds them, first of all, of what they knew. The foundation to remember. He reminds them. Notice secondly in verse 2. Paul reproves them for what they had believed. You might mark this. The folly to reject. There's a lot of folly being taught and preached in the church today. And people are not rejecting it. They are embracing it. Paul reproved them for being soon shaken in mind and trouble. By discounting what they knew. This is what happens. We let go of what we know to be true. And we get moved. Paul describes their immediate reaction to the false teaching. He describes their reaction as being, listen, one word, soon, which denotes hastily as a reaction. You know something to be true and somebody says, hey, did you know what? What? That's what it means. (laughs) Instead of saying, no way. That should be our response. That's not what the Bible says. He said, really? Soon. Letting go what you know. Being gripped what is false. And then he describes the effect as shaken. Meaning to waver, to agitate, to topple. A restless tossing as a ship not secured in its moor. Taken by the current. In fact, the word is used in reference to John by Jesus. He says, who did you go out to see? A reed shaken in the wind in Matthew eleven seven, One that just bends with everything? The answer is no. The word is used by Peter at Pentecost regarding David, who would not be shaken because the Lord was at his right hand in Acts 2.25. And so, this describes the unstable soul. The one who lets go of the truth and taken by the deception. What's the whole purpose of the church? At least one of the purposes in Ephesians 4. That you not be not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. 
If you're not grounded, you're not mature, you're not growing, you'll be taken by the currents of the spiritual deception that goes in and out of the church all the time. You're a candidate. He describes the activity as taking place where? In the mind. Here's the battle, guys. In the mind. Once there's suspicion, there's instability. (laughs) The word mind, now, refers to the reasoning aspect giving equilibrium of thought balance. This is how your mind works. Assimilation, and then you seek a place to accommodate it, to see if it fits. If it doesn't fit, it gives you disequilibrium. It doesn't fit to what you know to be true. Someone says they love you. They're unfaithful to you. Eh, You're unstable because it doesn't fit. It shouldn't happen. It's not right. Once you reconcile it, you're stable. This is the word. The word is found 24 times in the New Testament. They're all used by Paul except for three. Paul knew the warfare is in the mind. And the only thing that can stabilize your mind is the word of God. Ladies, this is more important to you than men. Though it's still applicable to men. Because you are more emotional than men. You let your emotions grab the best of you. You make decisions based on emotions. You get used. You make them on the truth. You stand solid. So important. J.B. Phillips translates it like this. Keep your heads And not be thrown off your balance. That's good. Keep your heads and don't be thrown off your balance. How? By standing on God's truth. What you know to be true. The error is tense. Points to the initial shock. Don't be thrown off balance by the false teaching. In the initial stages. In fact, you say, no, that's unscriptural. Because you're grounded, you're solid, you're following Jesus. Now notice Paul describes their continuous state of agitation since embracing the false teaching. They were troubled. The word comes from the word to wail. The idea is of an ongoing condition of a fragile stability emotionally and mentally. You ever seen a person who's unstable mentally and emotionally? And you sit there and say, listen, listen, I want to tell you about the Lord. And, and the Lord can do that. You understand? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it seems okay. And all of a sudden say, yeah, but what about this? Right back to it. They're unstable. You just can't seem to, you know what I mean? You ever try to stand a candelabra, a little candle stand, ladies? That's off balance? You got to get a level. Then it'll stand. The present tense points to their state of alarm. They were freaking out. The word is found three times in the New Testament. All three are used regarding the end times and the Lord's return. All three. Too much for coincidence. Matthew 24, 6, Mark 13, 7, and right here in our text. Every one of them. Trouble. Do you know the specifics about the Lord's coming? So that you're at peace, you're at rest. So you're not taken by the false teachers. Remember, I've told you often, fungus among us. Within and without the church. Always. Notice, secondly, Paul reproves them for believing that the teaching was from them. It was bad enough they believed the stupid lie. But what was worse is they believed that it came from him. 
Kids get kidnapped. Person comes on the school ground citizen. Your mom sent me to get you. And if that child is rescued, the first thing the child, after the parent hugs them, makes sure they're okay, says, why didn't you believe them? You should know better than that. The reference to spirit. He says they should not have been shaken in mind or troubled, even if the revelation came by spirit. So now he's going to mention three modes of, of, of the vehicle that possibly could have been how it came. Spirit is most likely indicative of prophetic utterance. In other words, someone stood up, got up and says, Thus saith the Lord, the, the, the day of the Lord has come to give it authoritative genuineness. And they embraced it. When really, he had already told them in the first letter, he exhorted them to judge all things rather than to reject prophecy. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, he says, Do not quench the spirit. So let God be God. If there's prophecy, hear it out. Do not despise prophecy. Test all things and hold what is good. They were embracing it without testing it. Too many Christians believe everything they hear because so-and-so said it. Listen, the only name that has authority to make it true is Jesus Christ and the apostles. What a preacher and teacher says is not authoritative unless it is lined with Scripture. Only what is scriptural is authoritative. We need to make sure we're following Jesus, not a man. Notice he says they should not be soon shaken in mind or trouble, even if the revelation came by what? Word. The reference to word denotes the act of teaching, communicating. So, it could have come through prophecy. It could have come through somebody teaching in the church. There seemed to have been a group opposed to sound doctrine, and they were told to be disfellowship. Look what he says in chapter 3, verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our word of this epistle, note that person and do not take company with him that he may be ashamed. So, it is scriptural. If someone in the body here is trying to teach you false doctrine... You should reprove them first of all yourself. A healthy body expels disease. And as that person's confronted by the elder or whatever, if they do not repent or turn from it, we're to excommunicate them. We're to tell them not to be around. Because we don't want them deceiving people. It's a protection, a loving protection. Now some people get upset, but it's alright. That's the breaks. I'd rather be scriptural than try to be popular. I'd rather protect you as a shepherd than be permissive and careless. Notice he says they should not be soon shaken in mind or trouble, even if the revelation was by letter. So the apostle wrote letters. We're reading one of them, many, many to the church. Somebody had written in his name, a forgery. For this reason, he probably ends the epistle in chapter 3, verse 17, where he says, The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is the sign in every epistle, so I write. So it's possible someone wrote a letter in Paul's name. But he mentions these three vehicles. Prophecy, teaching, or a letter. He doesn't specify which one. It could be all three. We don't know. But the three should always be checked in our life, huh? Someone says, thus saith the Lord, I compare it to Scripture. Somebody gets them the pulpit and teaches something, I check the Scriptures. Somebody writes a letter and says, this is what it teaches, I have to check it to the Scriptures, right? It's the same test for me. 
Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. So we shouldn't be surprised when his ministers, his angels can be transformed, right? 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. How do I know who's talking to me? If I know the word of God. I need to compare it to the word of God. The proclamation of another gospel, be it by the apostles, by any man or an angel, has the severest punishment of all. In Galatians 1, 6-9, let him be anathema, the strongest word of damnation in the Greek. God takes it very seriously when men and women alter and corrupt the word of God for their own benefit, for their own profit, for their own glory. That's why James says, let there not be too many teachers, for to them will be the greater judgment. I will have to give an account for everything I have taught. I try to do the best I can by God's help and by his gifts to do good study. But we study to show ourselves approved. To make sure we stay as close to the scriptures as we can. It's our responsibility. Notice thirdly in verse 2 that Paul reproves them for believing that the day of the Lord had come. Paul had already told them that the day of the Lord would come as a thief in the night to the unbeliever, not to the believer in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1 through 4. Concerning the time of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly well the day of the Lord, so comes as a thief in the night. Peace and safety, sudden destruction... Like a woman who's pregnant. But then he goes on to say, we're not of the darkness, we're of the day. So what are you doing? God has not appointed us to wrath. He's already told him about that. He told him when he founded the church. He told him the first letter. Now he's telling him again. Remember, Paul also told him that that day, and there's the key phrase, was the outpouring of God's wrath on the world. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 5.9 and 10. We have not been appointed to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord is not determined by the local national situation. Here's the mistake Americans make. American Christians judge the end time and the coming of Christ by the national condition. Listen, America is not even in the scriptures. We do not judge the coming of Christ in prophecy by our social condition. There have been more depraved societies, believe it or not, from the United States. <laughs> and Jesus hasn't come. So we are not the measuring or the thermometer or barometer for the coming of Christ. Israel in the Middle East is. So don't judge the latter days or the coming of Christ by the condition in the United States. The day of the Lord is not determined by your personal suffering. It's determined by a worldwide suffering under the Antichrist, worldwide lawlessness, where God's wrath is poured out. That if the days were not short, no flesh would survive, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21. You see, he says here, the day of Christ. The day of Christ is synonymous with the rapture. The catching up of the saints that he mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. The gathering together of Jesus Right here in verse 1, chapter 2, is the same. The rapture, catching up, the gathering together, they're synonymous terms. He's hitting the same thing from different approach as he speaks to him in the second letter. Pastor Xavier Reese with an important reminder of the things to come 
and vital simple truths drawn from the book of 2 Thessalonians. And you can find this program online to hear any portion you may have missed. Just browse for today's date in the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's much more to this lesson next time as well. Now, if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, you can pick up your own personal copy of this message. And the title to ask for is The Day and Gathering to Christ. It's available on CD for only $4. And make sure you pass on this study to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Once again, the title to ask for is The Day and Gathering to Christ. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. How dangerous is deception? That and more when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com